You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. I wanted to make a quick podcast to announce to the world, however small or large it might be on my podcast listening audience world, aspect of things to say. I have deleted the last semblance of me online other than this podcast. I mean, I guess I have an email account. Is that online? So I can I can send emails. I have um, my phone. I can send texts to people. That's not really online, though, at all. Um, but for quite a while now, the only two social media accounts that I have maintained have been my Twitter, which uh, was how I was getting this podcast out to people, but also I was keeping tabs on uh, the government and and celebrities and sports uh, online with Twitter. And then Instagram, which I really got onto only as a means to follow my sons. I have three sons. Um, when I got off, got off of Facebook, I was on Instagram before, but I never really did much on it. But I held onto it and made it my primary, um, you know, family account. Let's say after uh, realizing I wanted to be off of Facebook for a number of reasons, um, it wasn't just. Mark Zuckerberg, it wasn't just um, Trump winning, although I got off shortly after Trump winning in in November 2016. I was off by um, really the end of 2016, I believe. If not, it was early 2017. It was somewhere right around there. It was a combination of uh, seeing the, the ugliness of that website, but it was also something that had been building in me for quite some time about Facebook, which was, it it gave me the creeps. It was very much like high school, very much like, and I only had, I I had pared down from trying to be like everyone else, to have hundreds of friends on there and open myself up to new people and meet people and make new friends and all that crap. Um, And I just realized after a while on Facebook that, it was just about um, marketing yourself. And people would try to brag on Facebook. And I had some friends of mine from the high school days who said to me they thought Facebook was about loneliness. And they thought that all the people posting about their meals and their vacations were really very lonely people. But I thought that my friends who said that, who happened to be quite lonely (laughs) and uh, not really traveling much and not eating exciting places, I think they were just sort of jealous. And I think that they were also, um, you know, feeling like, why are you doing that to me, ex-friends or friends? Why are you showing me all this stuff you're doing? What's your point, you know? And... So they were being critical, not just because they themselves were lonely. They weren't just projecting, although that's what I think they were doing a lot of. I think it also was that they felt um, they were correctly also uh, wondering about the motivation behind most people when they post on Facebook. So my own take on it, uh, 
again, was I got off because of Zuckerberg, because of the overriding political theme, but I had also scaled back my followers from however many hundred there were that were all bullshit to like 50 people. Um, but then I looked at the 50 people that I cherished and believed were real friends and people that I really enjoyed their posts. And even if I didn't know them in real life, uh, or people that I did know from high school that I, uh, reconnected with who I actually was glad to reconnect with, you know, the one or two people that are like that, um, or my sons or whoever. And I, and I looked at their posts and I realized that on the whole, not for all of them, I'm not judging, but on the whole, they were all uh, either silent, either, you know, the 50, 60 people I followed, like 30 of them or 40 of them didn't post ever and were basically silent. And there were people that were much more vocal to me via texting or phone calls or whatever, or just in real life. Um, or they were people that were, um, just, uh, in a different realm on Facebook from me, you know, where they were, uh, had tons of followers that were liking every post they made that got a minimum of 20 to 25 likes every time they made a post. And it wasn't just cause they had more followers. They just understood how to, how to manipulate the Facebook medium to be something that worked for them. And I looked at that and I said, well, that's not me. You know, if I wanted to work the audience, if I looked at Facebook as like working the crowd, I would have done that, you know, long ago. I don't, I never saw it for that. I saw it as something where I could actually connect with people and, and maybe be an artist actually. And, um, I used to post even to my 50 people that I kept like, you know, poems and uh, cantankerous phrases and frankly honest desires about politics things I felt things I believed late at night early in the morning I didn't care about the time I didn't care about sharing my uh, myself you know and it wasn't public I kept it private at that point um, and was sharing with the people that I valued but now before that just walking this back a little bit to MySpace. Now, MySpace, I loved. But see, MySpace was a musician's place, a place for music. That's what they called themselves. MySpace, a place for music. That was their tagline. And I was only on there as a quote-unquote just regular person, non-musician, for, I don't know, a couple months. And it was actually, and I put, you know, like everyone else would play, they had those music players so I had a personal profile and I would play songs I liked, you know, but it was really important to me because I, I loved sharing music and I thought these are the songs that matter to me and I'll post things that are me. So to me, even in the days when Facebook was just another, you know, I'm sorry, when MySpace was just another Facebook, it was still better because your profile, when you went to someone's page, it started playing music. Everybody had that music player set to automatic play. So when you went to someone, you heard a song start and that song hit you in your heart and you felt that person because that's the song they chose to represent them on their page. And yeah, it was a player and there were multiple songs, but the one they put at the top and they changed it day to day, they would change it. 
Sometimes they'd leave the same song for a few days. But that's how they were feeling that day, that song. So I loved MySpace because, well, there were a couple big reasons. It was public. It was public. It was international. When you were on MySpace, everybody could see you in Europe, you know. They could see you in Japan. I mean, and literally people all over the world were using it. And anyone in the world could click on your page and you could talk to anybody in the world and they would go to your page. And people communicated on their pages. The main way people communicated on MySpace is posting wall to wall. Publicly. You wouldn't email that often. Uh, there were things called, what, the notes that you would put. And you could talk. You could post in a note. That was like Facebook. The notes on MySpace were like Facebook. Because you would post an idea or a thought and people would comment on your thought. But you had to go to the notes for the people you were following to read that shit. It didn't come up in your timeline. There was no timeline on MySpace. Do you remember MySpace? It was so fucking good. I don't know why it died. Facebook killed it because everybody wanted to go from this wide open, public, international thing where you're really on social media. And people had to talk to you on your page, at you, with you, publicly on your page. And you talked back at them on their page. So it wasn't really public because it was page to page. But it was public to the extent that you weren't hiding out in emails. <clears throat> so it was out there, but it was still very personal. It was person to person. And the only way you'd see what I was saying to this person is coming to my page. And same thing with them. And like I said, you had a page, it had their interests, it had things about them. And most importantly, they had a music player that would play and a song would play and it would tell you about them. Just from the song, you would learn enormously about them. And then they had pictures and everything else. So I loved it because it was open. Because it was brave. It was people saying, I'm out there. Let's connect. And it was musical and artistic. And it was direct. As, as, as public as it was, it was private. Because, like I said, you go to people's pages to, to talk to them. And then you could always go to email. Always. Like they say, take it to DM today. It's like taking it to DM, you know. Well... That was always true on MySpace, too. If you really wanted to get into something, and I had friends that I made on MySpace from all over the country and the world and the world. And when we really got close, how did we get close? We'd go to the email on MySpace, and we would go back and forth with very long messages, or we'd exchange Gmails or whatever, and then go there and talk. But it was about email, not text, not blurbs, back and forth. Long messages where each person would like share a lot of their thoughts. And you'd go back and forth. And someone who's, a, who's into writing and into shared thoughts that are, you know, elaborate, it was so wonderful because you met other people that actually could tell stories and think deeply. And what's so funny is we all canned our, face, our MySpaces. We canned them. Musicians. I have... I made many friends. I made like 20 friends on, on MySpace, or 15 at least, that I, I, I took over to Facebook, or that when I went to Facebook, I found them there, and they were my friends, and they were in my final 50. That's how close we became on MySpace, because in MySpace, it was about music and art and connecting, and it was international. 
I had a good friend from France. I had a good friend from Australia. I had a good friend from the UK. I had a good friend from Minnesota. I had a good friend from New York. You know, I had a good friend from Michigan. I mean, people that I made that were friends that like I felt like I knew them my whole life because and I made some good friends from Pittsburgh uh, on, on MySpace and carried them over to Facebook. But the problem with Facebook is everything was public. Everything was in the feed. Nothing was private. Nothing was on each other's walls. Very rarely did you go and talk to someone one to one on their wall. It was all about the public feed. And so then it's really public. Then it's not just like it's on their wall, but it's for them. Someone will see it, but only if they go to them. No, now it's like everyone that knows me is going to see everything I post to that person if I put it in my feed. I actually, so it was really down to like, well, now you got to email these people just straight up. And that's not the best way to get intimate with somebody. And if you're already close with them and you already know them, then it shifts over into, into texting. And uh, texting is really, it's fine. It's fine. I'm not knocking it. But it's not for really learning someone and loving someone. Because that is about them writing paragraphs and deeply expressing themselves and really having an opportunity to share. And that doesn't go on in texting. It's really kind of like, keep it moving. And if you actually write too much in texting, people go, oh, whoa, whoa, you're blowing up my phone. You're blowing up my phone, bitch. You know, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to actually have a mind. I'll keep it really short and brief because that's the way you want it on your text, you know. But you could spend a good time writing an email and send it one hit, boom, send one. And it could be, you know, a real long email and people would might not read it right away. They might make you wait a couple of days to respond because it, you know, they might be a little overwhelmed by the novel you sent, but they would write you a novel back. And the coolest friends and the people I made closest, like on, on MySpace and the like, were the people that wrote a novel back like right away or later that night when they, they might make you wait a couple hours, but they didn't make you wait days because they knew that if they read what you wrote, it would actually inspire them with a lot of thoughts of their own. I had a friend that I worked with as well, and we did this through voice messages. And we used to call each other on our work lines, and it cut you off after five minutes, uh, the recorded uh, work voicemail system. But like he and I used to leave each, leave each other like uh, 15 to 20 messages you'd call in and and you know it was kind of exciting kind of like waiting for something in the mail remember the days where you were waiting on some package to come in the mail you know something you mail ordered maybe a a movie or a t-shirt or something online or uh, on television and um you'd send it away and you were all excited and then two weeks later you the package would come in the mail and it was so exciting you know opening it up that was back when I was a kid in younger days, you know, when the mail was everything, television and the mail, that was it. There was no email. There was none of that instant gratification. Well, my friend and I, we would leave messages and, you know, you'd give thoughts. You'd get cut off after five minutes, call back, leave another one, call back. You just keep leaving messages. I don't know that you had to call back. You could actually maybe push a button to get back into leaving it. But anyway, the point is you'd leave a bunch of them so that you could talk to them and then you hang up and you go on with your life and then you check in a, a couple hours later like, oh, I wonder if I got my... You have 
15 messages. <laughs> it's like, oh, he listened to my messages and he went on because I got 15. So, and, you know, and, 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 and you know, there's a part of you that was like, oh, wow, fuck, I got to listen to 15 messages. Oh, my God, do the math. That's like 45 minutes or whatever. But another part of you was like, it's so exciting that, that whatever I said inspired them to leave, you know, all these other thoughts. And it was always unique to match them up. Like, did he respond to this part? Did he ignore that part? What did he say? What, what triggered his thoughts? You know, what mattered that I said to him? And what did I get in return? And it would eventually fizzle out one conversation, but it kept rolling on to the next. And we went on that way for quite some time. And it was actually kind of exciting because it was strange. It was like an internet way to talk in the sense that we weren't talking. We weren't in person. We weren't on the phone. We were, I'm leaving you my thoughts. You're leaving me yours. Back and forth, tit for tat. It was kind of like verbal email, you know, the way you could go on long, but give the other person their time to respond. And if you didn't like a message, you could delete it and re-record it. You know, it gave you a chance to edit yourself. So it was a, it was a nice way for people to be able to communicate in depth, but also with a certain amount of distance and protection. So it was exciting. And, and, and the added element of calling in and hearing about the messages are there as like a gift made it fun, you know. So I don't know. I, I thought that was a great way to talk to somebody without just calling them, which is still the best way to talk to people, you know, is, um, is in person and secondarily on the phone. Those are still the two only real ways to really communicate. But if you're going to go beyond face-to-face and beyond the phone, I would say email's still great. And voice messages are great. Voice messages. Nobody does them. They're great. People get all pissed off. You leave them long voice messages. Long voice messages are amazing. They're wonderful. Please leave me more of them. Please. I'm, I'm begging all you people out there and listening, Ville, if you know my number, call me. Leave me long voice messages. Please don't hesitate. If something's bothering you, if you if you just need to vent, please, by all means, call my phone. If I don't answer, don't take it personally. Don't think you're being screened. Don't hang up. Please wait for the beep and tell me what you wanted to tell me in person. And or, or better yet, I, I have a theory. If we didn't think the person was going to answer when we called, we'd call more. I think we're all afraid of actually, you know, really reaching someone nowadays. We're so used to like talking at a level that we can control. I send it, I disappear, I don't have to be burdened. And then we'll sneak back and read when we feel like it. And it may be a minute later, it may be right away, but we'll do it when we choose. It's this entire fear of pressure, pressure on me to actually have a back and forth, the drain, the drain of actually listening now when you say so. You know, the responsibility of having to actually like look at you face to face. You know, we, we, we found ways around all that, right? But <laughs> voice messages or nobody leaves them because you generally have to call someone to leave one and God forbid they answer. God forbid they answer the phone. So <laughs> nobody leaves voice messages because we're afraid. But look, just call and hope that they screen you because then you can talk and tell them things and go on and on. And then, you know, you, 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 You've said your piece and they'll listen to it when they get around to it. And maybe they'll call you back and you cannot answer and they can let them say their piece. You know, it's a nice, it's a nice way for people to unload and share and truly listen. Because when you get a voicemail message from someone, you really actually listen to it. 
You know, you actually do. It's really hard to skip over or ignore or phase, you know, drift away uh, mentally when, when you're listening to a voice recording. It's amazing how that's why podcasts are so popular. It's why they're so successful. There's something about a voice talking with no face, a disembodied voice in space that's very compelling. And if it's the right voice or a voice that you actually care about or a voice that you trust, it's, it's that much more compelling and, um, and riveting, actually. And so I, I'm a, I, I swear by voice messages, I wish there was a way that we could all communicate with them and not be afraid of actually having a real conversation. I mean, a phone conversation, which obviously t- seems to terrify most people. Uh, me, me included on a given day, but for the most part, I'm not afraid of phone conversations, but I recognize that most of you people out there are because it's definitely, there's a bugaboo about it. And people, once they discovered the ability to screen calls or not have them at all, that's what they seem to have chosen pretty much across the board. So, but I think it's, it's doing a tremendous disservice to our ability to communicate because voice contact is amazing and wonderful. And I think if we could just say, okay, we can we can, you know, damp down the, the 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 phone conversations, but let's make it a a voice message conversation. And I think that would be a wonderful way to really do better than texting, way better than texting, and even better than email. And yet not have to, you know, face each other. Oh my God, face people for real, or even on the phone, you know, so often. Anyway, uh, the point is I, I, I scaled back down on Facebook and it was so impersonal and there was nothing. And I realized that the people on Facebook uh, had my number and I'll just go with that. And then what I found was that was all relegated then to texting. And although I'm happy to have given up Facebook four years ago or thereabouts, um, it definitely hurt my relationships with everybody because at the end of the day, we got lazy. All of us got lazy and we got adjusted to reading, checking in with people by just without talking to them. You know, you log into Facebook and you read about them and they don't talk to you and you don't talk to them. You might put a like, you might put a little heart just to remind them that you're there. Let them know you saw their story, but basically you don't have to talk to them and when you actually disappear off that medium and you say, let's talk one-to-one, then you get a few texts here and there. People don't just say, fuck you, I'm done. They, you know, they're like, no, I value your friendship. But it's amazing how lame it gets and how choppy it gets and how, you know, because we don't email and we don't call each other anymore. And I don't mean we as, I'm not talking about people in specific. I'm saying in general, our culture, we do not email each other anymore we started out that way but we moved to text and text is short and abbreviated and quick and very impersonal and everybody everybody turns off read receipts so nobody has to know when they're being heard or if they're even heard and it's very out there and drifting into space and it's kind of like major tom the ground control you know it's the end of that, right? At the end of that song where he goes, he goes drifting off in the music, you know, can you hear me, Major Tom? Can you hear me, Major? And he's just gone. 
drifting out in space. Here am I sitting on my tin can. That's us. We're all floating out in space far away from each other. Planet Earth is, is blue and there's nothing we can do. And uh, the best we give to one another is these little text conversations. And we jump with fear if our phone rings and we screen calls and nobody leaves voice messages. Even when they get the chance to do so, they hang up. Uh, like they actually wanted to talk. When all they want to do is say, where are you? Are you coming? I mean, they really think about the phone calls you really, the conversations you actually have on the phone with people. Hi, I'm having this thing. I'd like you to come. Hey, where are you? Are you showing up yet? I mean, really, nobody says anything to each other uh, on tax or at all anymore, at all. And I really think that the lame-ass, ego-driven posts of Facebook that people manipulate to get likes and they find a way to schmooze and make it work, that has become how we communicate, you know. So I got off of that four years ago. Then it came to Twitter. And Twitter is an even weirder way to communicate. But at least it's honest. It's shorter. It's blunt. And it's really about not communicating. It's really about learning. It's about reading and understanding and, and sensationalistic news and stories of importance. It's a way to be a part of the news. And, you know. It's not for family. It's not for friends. It's not for fun and hijinks. It's about being a part of the nitty gritty of day-to-day -day life. Twitter is exciting if you don't mind rolling your sleeves up and duking it out and some ugliness. And it's great for politics and sports, all the things that are confrontational, all the shit in life that's like where people are like, you know, what did you say? <laughs> You want to go to Twitter for that because that's where it's at. But I realized for me personally that I was still mostly trying to use it to be an artist, to be different, to shake things up. And in the context of sports and politics, I thought the same way. And if I commented on somebody's post, it was to shake things up. So what did they label me? I'm sure you can guess. A troll. And people treated me like a malcontent. And because I was brazen about using profanity or otherwise being honest, I was viewed as just somebody looking for attention or trying to be sensationalistic. When what I was trying to do was to um, take the news that was and the people that are talking about real cutting edge shit and make it, you know, turn it on its head and, and, and make people think of another way to look at it. And I would post things that way and I would comment that way. And instead, all I did was piss everybody off. People are so, you know, dogmatic when it comes to politics and sports in particular. They are so simplistic. They need to see it one way and, and it's their way. Their team, you know, their player... Their candidate, people are very, very uh, dogmatic when it comes to those issues. So if you're a guy like me and you're trying to spin a little humor, a little dark humor, spin a little controversy, I'm not being a troll. Troll, troll means like somebody who's just trying to be someone who has no, they don't attach their name to it. They're a disembodied nobody person commenting. They're just saying vile things for the sake of, 
you know, to shake things up. They, they are not in any way invested in what they just wrote. If you go to their profile, there's nothing there. I was never that. I always was very ready to be a part of it. But what I discovered is if you shake things up, period, you will be viewed as a loser. You will be piled on. I mean, Twitter became just like Facebook. It was just a more open, wild, and crazy and vile version of Facebook, which is to say it's all about brownie points. You know, it's all about likes. It's all about saying the thing that people want to hear. It's absolutely not about saying the counterpoint because then you're a troll. Then you're just looking to cause a problem. I mean, it's not about, you know, challenging. It's because that is mean. You're being mean and your words are read as somehow, you know, nasty when they were really just being, uh, here's an alternative point of view. But you don't have enough words on Twitter to write as an alternative perspective. Allow me to suggest and then say what you're going to say. No, you just say what you're going to say, which is not exactly in cahoots with everything above you. No, you're actually challenging what came above you. But people just read that and go, look at this asshole. Let's get him. Tar and feather, this motherfucker. What the fuck's he saying over here? Look at this jag off. What an asshole. I mean, if I had a dime for every person, stranger who commented on some post I made on Twitter and just said, how about you just shut the fuck up? I would, I literally, I would be a very rich man today if I had a dime for people who said that to me on Twitter. Why don't you just shut the fuck up? That's what they said to me. Now, I reported them. Did, did Jack and his cohorts delete those people? No. Any more than he, you know, deleted Trump until Trump was threatening to overthrow the entire country. And then suddenly he said, you know what, maybe now that they broke into the Capitol and they actually killed some police, maybe we should, de- yeah, let's deactivate it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's Jack. He was really proactive on that, you know. <laughs> but people like me, you know, I could say, fuck you, go shoot yourself, whatever they want to say. It was fine. It was fine up until, you know, they were like, you know, maybe we should... Maybe we should prevent uh, people from saying the C word. Yeah, let's just block all those people. They started to pick. Twitter just randomly started to pick really weird issues and, and, and you know, to target. And that was it. But they never really uh, protected free thought. They never really protected or encouraged um, original uh, controversial thought, you know, they, they, they didn't, they really protected the power. Uh, they really said, you know, well, Donald Trump's in power, so we can't very well pull the plug, even though he's saying, you know, awful things. And, uh, and then when they did pull the plug, everybody said, Oh, censorship, censorship. (laughs) But the reason they said that is they were busy censoring all these years. They were censoring, you know, for, for 12 hours here, you know, two days there, people just, regular people just being people, you know, they were censoring all of us anytime they felt like it, you know, but, uh, if you had power, apparently you weren't being censored. So Trump really was a sort of like a high, put a highlighter on the fact that Twitter was really very poorly moderated for years. And then you realize that it, it wasn't open at all. And that it was really just a place where you, if you were unique and interesting and controversial and not afraid of conflict, 
You were just going to get piled on. You were not going to get appreciated. You were not going to get supported. You were not going to find love. And what you realize, what I realized over the years was the Twitter followers who could really say what they thought, the Twitter followers who could actually, you know, go out there, stick their neck out on, you know, on the chopping block, uh, were the famous people, the rich people, the people that already had, you know, the, the money and power behind them. They're the ones who could make the outrageous tweets and nobody deleted it, nobody reported it. And in fact, people liked it. And some people might disagree, but it would be a healthy discussion underneath, not just shut the fuck up, you know. And it's because they had the money and power behind them. And that's what I discovered. That um, the reality is until you got the money and power, you had to be careful about what you said and thought. And it wasn't any more different than you would be in a fucking church or a McDonald's restaurant, you know, or at the bus stop. And I realized Twitter is just like fucking standing at a bus stop or it's like sitting in a restaurant and you don't want to turn to the guy next to you at the table next to you and say what you tweet. So why would you tweet it? I don't know. I thought it was different. I thought people on Twitter were... I, I had a different feel for it, completely different. I thought it was open and free, and people were looking to read graffiti on the wall. That's what I thought. I thought Twitter was like a place where artists were spray-painting shit everywhere, and everyone was running around reading it and saying, well, there's a, a, an amazing mural that this artist painted over here with words or with whatever, or, oh, here's something cool. No, it wasn't. It never was. It was like, we're in church here, motherfucker. And you just said something that's not appropriate for church. Boom. And that's the way Twitter became. And you realized it might, it might be open. You might be able to have tits on Twitter and pornography posted. And you might be able to technically swear. But guess what? Nobody does anymore. Everybody tweets F star star number symbol. Nobody even swears anymore on Twitter. Because over the years, it's been dumbed down. As Trump went up and up and up and ratcheted his hate speak further and further and got away with it, the rest of us were being silenced more and more and more on Twitter, you know, and at the end of the day, it's just about power and money and Twitter is a voice. It's a mouthpiece for the news. If, if you by news, you mean, you know, who gets the most, who's trending, who's trending. Well, it's the most popular ideas. No, 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 you know, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that who became most popular in high school, right? That's what's trending on Twitter. You know, who, who, who are the hottest singles? That's what's trending on Twitter. What movie had the biggest box office weekend? That's what's trending on Twitter. Trending by its very nature means cool. It's just the most people that talked about something, the algorithm, boom, runs through and gives you the number system and that's it. But what is it? It's all about, is it really worth keeping tabs on, uh, you know, who's saying what when it's just the fucking regular people talking again? Do you really need some online social media network to keep up with the kind of generic things that most people think? Is it really worth it? Do I really want to log online? And and what happens is invariably, for me anyway, maybe you're different, but I'll see the thoughts and I'll be upset by them because they're so dumb or they're so boring or they're so predictable. 
predictable. And so outpost counter to the prevailing thought of the day because it frustrates me how stupid people are or how boring they are or how predictable they are. And I'll post something to the contrary and everyone will either ignore it or someone I don't even know will jump in and tell me to stick it where the sun don't shine. And so at the end of the day, there's no place for the original mind on Twitter unless you're original enough or lucky enough to have already made it rich and famous and powerful. And then your original thoughts will be debated and shared and considered. And it's like everything else in America. Sure, we're a free country for the people that, you know, that have actually bought their way into the, 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 to the marketplace of freedom. You have to have a, a seat in the, in the, um, in the arena or, or what you say won't be a part of the game. It won't be a part of the show. You'll be out in the parking lot still with the rest of the masses, you know, with the rest of the dipshits who they can, they might have an education, they might not. They might have some clean pair of pants on. They might be wearing dirty underwear. It doesn't really matter unless you have the power to cut a swath or the money. I mean, you're, you're just not going to get a voice. You're not going to be heard. Nobody's going to give a fuck. And the only time they will is, is to hate on you. And you find on Twitter or any public forum that's out there on the Internet that you want attention? The only way you'll get it is to say something that you know is going to make them all hate you. The moment you say something slightly controversial, different, the moment you shake the tree to see what falls down, oh, it'll fall down. The coconuts will land squarely on your head and you'll get shitloads of hate piling all over you until you can't get off fast enough. You can't unplug and shut that computer down, turn, throw that phone into the corner. Can't do it fast enough to avoid the amount of hate you're going to get. The moment you you know, say, how can I get attention? Oh, I know. I'll say this. Is that a troll? Maybe. Maybe that's a troll, but I mean, it's not like I live doing that. You have to do it just once or twice to discover. Oh, yeah, I can get a response here. I know what to say to get a response, but it won't be pretty. It won't be pretty, and there is no way to get a pretty response unless you say what everybody else is already saying. You know, on Twitter, on Facebook, and everything else. If you want positive response and supporters and people following you etc. Just say what everyone else is already saying. And you'll, before you know, you blink, you'll have thousands of people supporting you because you just said the shit that you saw someone else say, who saw someone else say it, who saw someone else say it. And that's high school and it's society and it's no different online. It's no different. The beautiful art form that could have been is not, it does not exist it is not Twitter. It is not Facebook. It is not, uh, you know, Snapchat. It is not Instagram. I mean, Instagram, you could say, hey, if you just look at pictures, right? If all you do is look at pictures on Instagram, okay, that's a different, interesting way to communicate. But that's not what it is. It's become so much more than that. It's just another popular place for people to become huge when they already had the power and money and to hate on those who have no power and money and just become another form of irrelevant, irrelevant, depressive rejection. 
say that three times fast. That's what Instagram is. It's another way to propagate for yourself and others irrelevant, depressive rejection. Because at the end of the day, unless you are, you have a seat at the table, uh, no matter what you try to do online, becomes a rejection. Because if nobody's listening, if nobody gives a fuck, then you might as well keep it to yourself. So I deleted my Twitter, finally, and I've had it since 2009. I was one of the early ones. I believe the whole app was created. It might have been 2006, 2006, 2007. But I'm pretty sure I was one of the first, so I don't know if that's right. In fact, I might have been on there since 2006. I have to go check again. But anyway, bottom line is I'm definitely one of the first to ever use Twitter. I liked it from the start. I didn't use it much right away, but I liked it. Thought it had the most promise, and I think I was right. I really do think it is the most viable and important social media out there. And the other one I think is equally, not equally, but close second would be Instagram. And that's why I had those two and I kept those two in addition to keeping communication with my sons. But two of my sons are no longer on Instagram. None of them are on Twitter. Um, And I just think all of it is irrelevant to me now because at the end of the day, uh, family and those that are close enough to me to be considered close Um, we talk the means that we have at our disposal. We talk by the phone and in person. We don't need social media. And to the extent we do, it's, or we use social media, it's, it's, it doesn't add anything to my way of thinking with those that matter to me. Social media hasn't really added anything to our connection for quite some time. So from my perspective, it really just comes down to, Um, am I getting a voice out of it? Am I getting heard? Am I getting something special? And my answer is no, 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 no. It's just another Facebook. No, I got off Facebook because there was really no voice for me there. I don't feel any voice for me on Twitter. I don't feel any voice for me on Instagram. I really think that um, uh, creative, original, interesting communication has to happen uh, in something long form, like a poem or a movie or a song or an email or a voice message, or it has to happen face-to-face. It has to happen in real time. It has to be something done, you know, intimately. I don't think that uh, valid communication and sharing occurs on social media unless you can do it in a way that is approved, basically. Unless you can uh, learn to do it in a way that is uh, sanctioned by the masses. And then you're just one of them. Really, you really are. And then good for you. But why why do you need social media to just be like everybody else? Seems to me you could do that uh, at home in your living room by turning on uh, ABC at 8 p.m. on Tuesdays to watch that same show that everybody watches. Or... 9 p.m. on Sunday nights to watch the new HBO show that everybody's watching and on and on. It seems to me it would be pretty simple to be like everybody else without having to resort to social media to make sure 
you're on track. I mean, hey, am I watching the right show? Thanks for letting me know, Twitter. Hey, Facebook, is this the song I should be listening to? Oh, no, that's not popular. Okay, then now with that album. What's the good album? Okay, thank you. That's I'm playing that now. Thank you for straightening me out. I appreciate it. I really need your help. Thank you, Facebook. I mean, that's really what it amounts to. If you're really worried about where you stand as opposed to everybody else in the masses, then fine, keep those profiles. But if you're actually trying to make a stand and make a statement and be unique, unless you have money and power already, you're not going to get it on social media. You're not going to get heard. You're not going to get that audience. You're not going to fit in or find a place to be heard on social media unless you already um, have the power so that you don't need social media. That's, that's the ironic thing. The rich get richer on social media and the poor get poorer on social media. That's the truth. And um, if you're one of those middle ground people that has found a pocket, good for you. I'm sorry I didn't mean to offend you. If you have a, a Facebook you like with 150 people or 200 and you think you're cool on there and they think you're cool and you, st- you hung on to it all these years, good for you. And I'm proud. And I'm happy for you. If you have a Twitter that you think is cool, good for you. Uh, don't worry about me. I'm just a crazy man rambling on in his podcast, which is, by the way, the last thing I'm keeping. My last... Uh, my custard's last stand is that this podcast that you are listening to now ain't going anywhere. The only thing is I'm not going to be able to publish it anywhere. I don't know. I mean, it's published, but I mean, I'm not sharing it. So if you ain't here already, you're never going to be here. So whoever is listening to me now, thank you. Because I don't think I'll be finding any more followers because I'm never going to publish a link anywhere beyond where it's being published already. And I'm not going to advertise and I'm not going to promote and I have no means to do so and I'm happy about that. But I am going to keep recording and I am going to keep talking to you. And if you'd like to hear from me, by all means, please subscribe and click on my podcast when you see a new one and listen away. And leave a comment if you'd like. Leave a review. Give me some feedback if you feel it. Uh, If you don't, that's fine too. Otherwise, until next time, I love you. Yabba da boopa.